You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Talk Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Big and Free podcast for people who like a glass of wine. Sit back, relax, pour out a glass of your favorite wine, and join our host, Mr. Dave A.C., for the next hour, while we enjoy some nice wine. man who likes a good glass of red wine, your host, Mr. Dave A.C. Oh, indeed I do, Ian. Indeed I do. In fact, I enjoy a half bottle of wine. Yes, I I use moderation. Welcome, everybody. This, would you believe, is episode 80. 80 of the Big and Fruity Wine Podcast here on TorchU. TorchU ID double one double two seven two. I'm your host, Dave A.C., and um, welcome to another episode, whether you're listening to it uh, shortly after we upload the recording, we do these lives. Uh, as I record it now, it is Tuesday the 19th of March, 2013, just a couple of days after St. Patrick's Day, and to uh, my young nephew, Patrick, uh, happy birthday for St. Patrick's Day. Well, I did send you a message on Facebook. But, um, yes, we're here. These shows go out uh, all talk show, uh times. That's the uh, the program that we use to actually do these live recordings. Uh, that uh, goes out at Eastern Daylight Time. And so this call always goes out at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. But because here in the UK we've not yet moved on to the summertime, we're still on GMT. Uh, currently, for the last couple of weeks and still for next week, uh, we go live at 9pm. But uh, if you're listening to this uh, in April 2013 onwards, for the next six months, of course, we'll back to the usual of the fact that uh, the 5pm uh, equates to 10pm here in the UK. And you're most welcome to join me live. You can come into the show live just Go to Torture and find call ID double one double two seven two. There's a little box for you to put that number in, and you can come in and text chat during the course of the, the show. Ask questions like we had some questions last week, um, or you can actually come on audio. The phone number is an American number. It's uh, so you've got the uh, prefix before it, but then it's the country prefix. It's seven two four 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 seven. Four four four, and um, we'll look forward to hearing from you, or at least seeing your text chat in the room. <clears throat> well, every show has a, a sort of um, a, a byline, a strap line, and today's a little bit um, more 
leeway, and it, it's called Storing Wine and More. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, on the topic about storing wine, and we're going to talk about it uh, in two aspects. Uh, storing wine in terms of keeping wine for the future, uh, not in any great depth, I shall admit, so please don't expect any great uh, depth on that, just my particular methods of doing it and some of the bits and pieces of advice from around the internet, um, and also uh, keeping bottles of wine that you have owned. You heard me say right at the beginning there that I try and make, uh, well, by definition, I try and make a bottle last me two nights because I try only to drink half a bottle. Now, I may have transgressed. I may have transgressed tonight. And in fact, I may be doing something slightly different because the other thing that we do on this show is that each day I bring on a wine. Uh, I have a wine which I smell and taste. I usually taste for the first time live on the show. And then we have a, a wine fact. And then we have the wine topic. And we do it all in a light-hearted and hopefully relaxed way. <laughs> well, two or three things. First of all, <clears throat> we had a question in last week that uh, I didn't get really into very much. So I want to just talk a little bit about that. And that was talking about uh, the sort of sugar levels in wine and somebody feeling that they, they feel as though some wines were just too dry, too bitter for them, too sour almost. And they wondered why wines couldn't be a little bit sweeter. Also, last week, we uh, I wasn't in such a relaxed mood because um, I'd gone about 10 minutes into the show uh, because prior to the show, I'd been shuffling papers around and I'd muted my microphone. And, of course, I did what is um, hopefully something that most podcasters remember not to do is that I'd left myself muted. And uh, some poor caller had come on the call and only when they posted in that they couldn't hear me, and I suggested that they log in again, and they still couldn't hear me, that it was my error. So I had to actually edit out, and I had to do a little bit of a recap there at the beginning. So hopefully we don't do that. But the other thing is, as I say, the bottle, this one, uh, would normally have been opened a while, uh, an hour. The wine would have been poured out in the glass for about 10, 15 minutes or so. And then we'd have some lovely aromas whifting across my desk. I'd try and tell you about them, and then I'd taste the wine, and then I'll show you a twit-pick picture. Well, indeed, I still will show you a twit-pick picture. I will indeed smell the wine. I will indeed taste it. But confession time, David. Um, tonight, well, I've been doing very busy today. Got myself some new glasses. Went to collect those today. Checking on my brother-in-law's house and uh, because he's coming back from a holiday very shortly and uh, doing other things, shopping and so on. That um, one of the things I bought, which was supposedly going to be for the weekend, uh, maybe maybe Thursday or Friday night, was a beautiful pork chop. Well, I had this bottle of wine in the room on the table, not opened, uh, staring at me. I had beautiful smells of this pork chop being roasted, uh, cooked in the oven with some roasted vegetables, and that was giving off lots of lovely aromas. And I thought, I don't want to eat that pork chop. When I've got that lovely, well, hopefully a lovely bottle of wine <clears throat> waiting, uh, and have to wait an hour or so after that meal 
damn it, so guiltily, I opened the wine, poured out one good generous glassful, and indulged in a glass of this wine with my pork chop and roast vegetables, and um, I must admit, it complimented it delightfully. So now you want to know what that is, don't you? Well, let's get on with that part of the show. The, we're back to France. Um, this wine is um, a Cote de Rhone. It's a Cru de Cote de Rhone 2010 from France. And let me just get a little bit more for you than that. It is some um, Cellar de Dauphins. Or Dauphins. That's spelled D A U P H I N S. Cellar de Dauphins. Cru uh, uh, de Côtes de Rhone, and it's from Asda. That's Walmart in the States. Normally, this costs um, well over £10, well over $15. So it's normally a $16 wine, but it's on offer at the moment for just under £6. Uh, either £5.99 or £6 exactly, which is equivalent to $9. So... Uh, it is reduced. It is an award-winning wine. It's got um, the silver medal uh, from the IWSC for 2012, the um, International Wine and Spirit Competition Quality Awards. And um, let's say taste and smell and taste a little bit before I lead you on to some information about it. Well, <laughs> I don't have to get that tune in my nose before I'm getting really dark, dark berry fruits there. And it's not floral, but it's sort of a... It's not an earth, It's like an earthy, but it's almost like a, an earthy after rain. Um, that's very nice indeed. But the predominant is, is, is the promise of dark fruit. Let's have a taste. Ooh, and we're getting dark fruit in, and spice in equal measure. We're getting a slight vanilla edge, only very mild tannins, it's quite dry, and we've got a very nice and long finish. That is extremely pleasant. Now, we'll go a little bit to one side to it. Now, with the, the Cote de Rome wines, they're usually blends of different grapes. If I was to make a, a guess of the predominant grape here, I would say it was a Grenache, but, uh, and Syrah, but there's this is obviously probably blended with uh, six or seven or eight even different uh, wine varieties. But let me go to the twit pick. Um, we'll put that in the room. And get that, grab that again. Now remember, when I go to the twit pick uh, link, it's all in small case. And here we go. This is from our Big and Fruity, by the way. We have a Twitter feed for the show, Big and Fruity, all one word. And remember, of course, we have a Facebook group and a Google Plus page. Just put Big and Fruity and you'll find those. Um, but it's twitpick.com forward slash 
CCQ2CZ. All small case. Twitpick.com forward slash CCQ2CZ. Uh, 29 viewings, uh, two of those of which are mine, so it's only been a little bit. When I tweet, um, and the tweet went, um, crew, crew de Cote de Rhone, 2010 France for Big and Fruity Podcast, 5pm Eastern Daylight Time, 9pm GMT, and uh, a link to the talk shoe room Call ID double one double two seven two, and uh, I just want to take a moment out here because um, on one of the actual forums that I actually post links to these shows, um, there was some question about you know whether I was sort of trying on some occasions to actually advertise wine. Well, I'm not. I'm certainly not promoting people start drinking. I'm certainly doing this show as a person who just enjoys wine. Now. Um, if I promote a wine, that's because I like it. I buy all these wines. I think on one occasion, I was uh, tasting a Naked Wines wine that had been a bonus gift. You know, it was one of those ones that had been added to my basket, as it were, for being a long-term user. But I don't work for them. I don't uh, I don't uh, go out of my way to, to sponsor. I push them. I'm just a happy customer that um, occasionally some of the best wines I have are from them and therefore they get a feature on the show. But I do not sell anything. I do not gain anything from promoting this wine over that wine. So please, when you listen to this, these are all my personal tastes, uh, bought with my own money for my own enjoyment. And I'm just trying to share that with people who may be like-minded souls. So let's see else what it says. If you go to the picture, the Twitpic picture, and I put the link in, you'll be able to see a little bit there. Let's see what it says on the back label of the wine. The Rhone Valley is a diverse and interesting wine region, stretching some 200 kilometres from Lyon right down to Avignon. There are three quality levels, Côte de Rhone, Côte de Rhone Villages, and the highest level, level Crue de Côte de Rome. The villages of uh, Vinzobers, and I'm going to spell that because I'm awful at these pronunciations, it's V-I-N-S-O-B-R-E-S. Vinzobers uh, was very recently promoted to crew status and joins only 14 other crew villages internationally known for their outstanding quality. Bursting with ripe summer fruits, this wine is rich, spicy, well-structured, and has a full flavour. Perfectly with rich foods are great to drink on its own. It's 14% by volume, by the way. Um, yes, it certainly is well-structured. There's definitely spice there. It is full of flavour. Ripe summer fruits. Well, I'm getting more dark berry fruits, but um, no doubt uh, that is all uh, all matching nicely there. Let me put a link in the room to uh, the Asda page, uh, which is where I particularly bought this wine from, but I'm sure it's available. My word, that's a long... I'm not sure all that... Um, wow. 
let me just see. Not too sure all that will go into the feed, but this is in the groceries page of Asda uh, in the drinks section. Well, I think that's just about gone in. I don't think I can read it, but if you search for Cru de Cote de Rhone in Asda, you'll see it here. Um, and of course, it has exactly the same description there. Bursting with summer fruits, this wine is rich, spicy, well structured. So they're basically taking the winemaker's word for that. And um, let's see what it says. Um, well, actually, it doesn't have a great information there other than the country of origin being France. Usually, they're pretty uh, good at having a little bit more information there. But luckily, um, we've got a couple of other pages that will help fill in some of the blanks for us. And the first page that I'm going to is um, Wine Directs. Uh, and this is a UK firm, so this is um, uh, winedirect.co.uk forward slash products, Cellar des Dauphins, Cru de Côte du Rhone. Let's see what they've put here. Well, they've got that it's, um, it's been an award winner, a certain, actually won a silver in 2010, gold in 2011, and um, in 2012 it won a silver, and this is the... Um, 2010 one that I'm drinking. So I'm drinking the one with the Silver uh, Standard Award. And let me read if it has anything here. Now again, uh, oh, it's got a review. Just one review. From Michael. Let's see what Michael has said. Reminiscent of a good Bordeaux. Really smooth. A good big mouthful, but without the usual Rhone earthiness. Yeah, there was a promise of the earthiness on the nose, but you're quite right, that's very much in the background here. Six quid, jump on it. That's um, their comment on that. Uh, but it doesn't, again, here, tell us anything about the actual, um, um, shall we say, the actual um, types of wine, or grapes that are in the wine. So let's go to our friend Wiki. And we're going to the Cote de, de Rhone uh, AOC page. And uh, let's see what it says there. Okay. Um, now, uh, all reds... Uh, Okay, let's read this. A little bit confusing, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Red and rosé wines are made from Grenache Noir, Syrah, Cialt, I can never pronounce that, that's C-I-N-S-A-U-L-T, Carrigan, and Mordivere grapes. A maximum of 20% white varieties may be used in the rosés. All reds grown uh, must contain 40% Grenache, Oh, so that is the predominant grape varietal and may in actual fact contain up to 5% white grapes. Red from anywhere in the Appalachian must contain um, at least 15% of Syrah and Mordivere. So I was right perhaps then in, if the second is, um, so it mainly might be 40% Grenache, then Syrah, and then there can be... Um, 
there there can be other lens put into that. So that is good information. And let's go to read a little bit from this wiki page. This uh, sorry from this um, Wine Direct page. Sorry, my fault. At WineDirect.com. Uh, just a little bit on the definition of what the crew means. Remember, there are the the three varieties. There's the the Cote d'Arone uh, villages. Sorry, the Cote d'Arone, Cote d'Arone villages. Then there's actually another one above that called Cote d'Arone villages with a named village. And then the crew is above that. The most demanding level of distinction, a total of 15 crews are allowed to be recognised by their village name without requiring the mention of uh, Cote d'Arone on the label. And of course, this one, uh, Vinozerbe, is the newest of those 15. In actual fact, let's go to that page now. This is the wiki page this time. And this is um, Wikipedia. Uh, .org forward slash wiki forward slash vin, vin solebs OAC. And I'm going to spell it again. V-I-N-S-O-B-R-E-S. I wish they give pronunciations in these pages. But um, um, it's a appellation for the red wine in the southern part of the Rhone wine region of France. Situ- situated around the village of Vinozeb. It was previously part of the Côte de Rome villages, but on the 17th of February 2006, it was created as a separate uh, AOC, and therefore achieved the status of a Rhone crew. Ah, now, here it says, these wines must contain at least 50% Grenache, not 40 50% Grenache and 25% Syrah and our Mordivere. So we were getting two of the great varieties there, David. Not too bad at all. Okay, let me... Yeah, I've got one more page at least and this is from the Decanter website. Again, I only like to refer a little bit to these uh, want you to go and check out their sites yourself. And this is um, www.decanter.com and this is talking about the um, wine awards and so on. <clears throat> so you have to look under the um, page DWWA 2010 results and here it's talking about the 2009 version of this wine getting four out of five stars and the decanter silver uh, medal. And it says, nose of black fruits. David, you man. Oh, olives. Olives and Asian spices with dense blackberry character on the palate and a fresh floral note on the finish. And this has the price of uh, just under £9. So that gets a... Very good rating indeed from decanter.com. That is rather good. Now, I've got, in fact, one more page, but this is more general, talking about um, Cote de Rome than actual um, this particular wine. And again, I just want a little pick 
one little paragraph out on this, and, and then we will proceed onwards with the Big and Fruity Wine Podcast. And this is from... What's the name of this page? Tong Ham Tong Ham Taster dot blogspot dot co dot UK forward slash two thousand five eleven forward slash zero five forward slash Coke de Rhone Tong Ham Math Tasters dash French. And I just wanted to read this little bit here about um, the Coke de Rhone varietals. The red and rosé wines of Côte de Rhone may contain, in theory, many different grape varieties. In practice, the main varietals are Grenache Noir, which normally dominates, plus Syrah and Mordivere. The village wines must contain at least 80% of these varieties together. Another 10 different black grape varieties are permitted, and even, again, like I said before, some white grapes are used. That's up to 5%. So, um, I don't want to read anything more because I want you to actually go and check that page out. So that's tonghamtaster.blogspot.co.uk And I think, before we proceed any further, David will have another little sip. And that's opening up very, very nicely. It really did go down nicely with my pork chop. It was lovely. Anyway, let's get on. We've got our wine fact. We've got our topic. I want to mention a little bit about uh, budget. And also, I might even want to mention a little bit about what's coming up next week. So, let's just... I'm going to talk a little bit. I, I tried to mention... Uh, really a little bit about um, you know the sugar levels in wine and why some of the less alcoholic wines were sweeter and so on because of a question that was posed in the room last week and I was mentioning about how in sparkling wines uh, you know the sugar was added in that like that second fermentation that's one of the methods I think in actual fact there are about three to four different methods of getting the sparkling levels in white wines and in champagnes but um let me go a little bit um this is um from i won't read out the link here but it's from uk.answers.yahoo.com and the question is what is the sugar content of wine and the best answer uh, chosen by asker is uh, from uh, stacy um show a whole name so we'll say Stacy uh, grapes accumulate sugars that they grow on the grapevine through the translocation of sucrose molecules that are produced by the photosynthesis from the leaves during the ripening um, they're ch- changed by an enzyme into glucose and fructose by the time of harvest between 20, 15 and 25% of the grape will be composed of simple sugars most of the sugar in the grape juice is converted into alcohol during the fermentation process. The natural grape sugar is that either unfermented at the end of the fer- sorry, the natural grape sugar is either 
unfermented at the end of the fermentation process are added back into the wine as with the dosage added to sparkling wine that is called residual sugar and is measured in grams per litre of wine and is often expressed as a percentage. And of course then it goes goes on to talk about um, you know the different variations where dry wines may have little residual sugar, uh, less than 0.2%. Semi-sweet usually have 1% to 3%. And the late harvest wines, now I did mention the late harvest wines in my answer, uh, are wines that may range as high as 25 to 30%. And I was suggesting to the question, person who put the question that actually they may prefer lower alcohol, um, not late harvest, surely. Ah, I know what they mean, right. There's two types, there's early harvest where not much of the, the it's low alcohol level, and then there's a the late harvest where they're actually sort of almost going for a fortified uh, and and then you can get onto things like sherries and, and ports. Right, my mistake there. Okay, another wine, and this is from, um, and I'll put the link into the room, but I won't read it all out, but it's from um, www.calwineries.com forward slash learn, and then this is about sparkling wine sugar levels. And I think I've talked about this page before when I did about sparkling English wines and so on. But just very quickly, because of time, let's just go through some of the things, especially if you're looking for a bottle of sparkling wine and you're not sure whether you're going to be getting what you think is dry and what actually, in fact, may not be too dry. Okay. Um, instead, of an, uh, instead of the sugar... Adjusting sparkling wine sugar levels. Instead, the sugar is added right after disgorgement and before the cork is inserted. Sparkling wines are labelled by their sweetness. I've seen some variation, but in general, the following terms are matched up by the percentage of residual sugar in the wine. So, the ones with the least amount... Less than half a percent are the extra brut. The extra brut is the driest. Then it's brut. And then confusingly, the third driest level is called extra dry. But brut and extra brut are drier than that. Extra dry is 1.2 to 2%. Then the sec at 1.7 to 3.5%. Demisec, demisec is sweeter than sec, is 3.5 to 5 and do, that's spelled D-O-U-X, is over 5%. And then there's lots of information there about the way in which um, uh, the sugar levels are done. As I say, there's more than one way of getting the sparkling effect into those wines. So I'm just having a little look. Yes, and um, there's another page here. If you really want to get into this a little bit more, but I think I'll just leave it with telling you about the place to go and check. And that is another Wikipedia page for, called Sweetness of Wine. Wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash sweetness underscore of underscore wine. <clears throat> and again, that has, as you go down, about residual sugar, uh, Swiss Reserve, 
think that's German, literally meaning sweet reserve. And then some of the terms used to indicate sweets of wine. And then the information about the um, the brute and extra brute and so on. And um, lots of information there on that. Um, and of course, there's some slight differences between Germany, Hungary and Spain in terms of the way that... Um, now, hang on. Since I do enjoy Spanish wine, let me have a little look at what uh, they use in Spain. Uh, and this may be almost... This is talking about fortified wine types now. So, um, the sugar of a fortified wine... The lowest sugar level, therefore the driest, is the Fino, F-I-N-O. And then you go up to, uh, going up in, well, not going up very much, but in the drier ones, there's then Manzilla, Amontillado, and then you go up to the Oloroso, then dry, then pale cream is sweeter, then medium, then cream even sweeter still. Uh, Moscatel is getting towards the sweet, and D-U-L-C-E and sweet, where you're getting 160 grams per litre. And um, lots and lots of information there. So please go wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash sweetness underscore of underscore wine. Wow. Ah, well, there we go again. We've been talking. David's been talking for over 30 minutes and we haven't got to what was supposedly storing wine. Well, we will do something on that. But again, I'm not trying to go into any great depth on these. We're supposed to be relaxed. It's almost something for me to share with you as I unfortunately don't share my wine with you. Nice. Okay. Well, oh, and in fact, uh, something that I will, I'm not going to read about storing bottles, but um, one little piece of information that I may go on to one of my episodes in a couple of weeks' time is um, today I was in Manchester doing some shopping. That's when I got my port shop later at the supermarket. But um, I'd gone to collect my new glasses that I've got new glasses and um, while I was just waiting in Manchester uh, well actually no I no it was after I got the glasses um, I went to a bookshop thinking I'll just check my how my prescriptions and get used to them and um, I ended up standing in front of the um, the food and uh, drink area of um, Waterstones I think it was and I suddenly reminded myself that um, the Oz Clark pocket wine book that I quite often mention and I've mentioned on the show, it's 2008, the edition I've got. Well, I uh, ended up picking up, I'm ringing home, Oz Clark, Pocket Wine Book, 2013. Well, we'll have a little bit of a look at those two books, uh, maybe in a week or two time, just to find out you know, if it's worth buying a newer version of these. And, and let me just make some points there. But I certainly do know that um, Os Clark will talk a little bit if he says anything uh, salient, ooh, that was a good word, about storing wines. So, 
let's remind ourselves um, by going to the wiki page, which we may have touched upon before, and this is um, um, wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash storage underscore of underscore wine. And again, this is really all important if you are a fairly um, affluent, shall I say, affluent um, wine drinker, maybe also a younger person under 40 who feels as though it doesn't matter if they have to wait 5 to 10 to 15 years, or in case of uh, when we're talking about those German Rieslings, you know, much, much longer than that, um, you may be quite happy to put things down and buy them at a, a good price, especially if you go for good vintages. I mean, good vintages in Europe have been what, 2001 was it, 2005, 2010, uh, 2010 was the last good vintage, I think. Not quite too sure about 2012, but I will be when I check my Oz Clark book because it does cover vintages up to 2012. So let's just read a little bit here um, uh, from the wiki page. Storage, storage is an important consideration for wine uh, that is being kept for long-term ageing. Yes, um, I talked about um, some wines before where... Um, uh, Having uh, looked at the wine lovers page, somebody there said that you know, even standing wine up, um, and I'd, I'd been answering uh, a friend of mine, Louis had he'd, he got hit by um, Hurricane Sandy, and he'd had to uh, move some wines out and they'd been standing, but he'd been worried because he's still struggling, you know, four to six months after Sandy, and he was worried to me that you know these these bottles have been lying down before. And now they've been standing up and he was worried about, you know, whether the corks would have shrunk, whether air would have got in, whether there'd been any leakage. And um, apparently, I mean, the, the corks used now, unless you're buying really cheap wine, are are very good. And of course, in actual fact, um, the screw caps are actually even better at keeping the air out. And in actual fact, if you're buying a wine to drink and it's got a screw cap, more it's more particular, I think, that you actually have to open it an hour or so early and pour out half a glass because um, they're so good at keeping the all the air out. Uh, corks are very slightly porous, uh, so these enclosures are actually better than the cork. Anyway, I digress. So, uh, But anyway, this is talking about long-term ageing. So while most wine is consumed in... 24, I thought it was going to say 24 months of purchase. <laughs> it says, well, most wine is consumed within 24 hours of purchase. Well, I do keep, I mean, I don't keep a lot of wine in my house. Probably 24 to maybe 36 bottles at the most. I'm maybe a little bit more at Christmas. I think currently I've probably got about um, two dozen bottles in, maybe 26 or eight. Well, there's, I've always got maybe a dozen wines that are there and they're going to be there for months, maybe years. I've got one bottle of wine from back from uh, 1990, I think. I think that's the oldest wine I've got. But that's 23 years old. Um, I've got a couple, quite a few wines from 2001, uh, some Grand Reserve Ariocas, uh, a couple from 2003, and actually from Spain, I think 2004 was a good year. I think I've got a couple of uh, Grand Reserves from 2004, and then quite a few wines from 2005, some French wines. And then most of my other wines are 
basically new world wines from South Africa and uh, and uh, North America and New Zealand. Well, not many from New Zealand because I find them uh, rather dear, although I do enjoy drinking them. So I probably keep on average wines anywhere from a month to a couple of years in the majority while there's a sort of um, a core of wines that I have kept uh, some of the wines that I brought from my other house. So I've had some wines over seven or eight years. Anyway, what does it say on this page, David? You're wittering away. Uh, and yeah, so while most wine is consumed within 24 hours of purchase, uh, fine wines can often be set aside for long-term storage. Wine is one of the few commodities that can improve with age and can also, but can also rapidly deteriorate it kept in inadequate conditions. Now, let's just read this bit. The three factors that have the most direct impact on wine's condition, and this assumes, by the way, that the bottle is secured. You know, it's not got a faulty cork in it. It's not being mistreated. Uh, it's not got this bottle shock or been, uh, you know, in some way damaged. But assuming that when it went into storage, it went in in pristine condition, then these three factors are the most direct impact. And they are light, humidity, and temperature. And of course, if they are really expensive, fourth consideration is security. Okay, in actual fact, again, digressing, uh, in the dire straits that the UK are in, the actual... Um, the government, they, they 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 have their own wine cellar now. About five or ten years ago, they were going to disband that and and and, and sort of have an outside contractor or you know um, some wine merchant uh, do uh, looking after the wines. But they suddenly realised, in actual fact, when they did an audit, uh, they'd actually saved money by buying wines, you know, through good advice. Uh, so. Um, They've actually kept on that, but they did have a sale. I think they sold about, um, I don't know, a quarter of a million pounds worth of wine. So that they could, re in other words, they were restocking with younger wines by selling and selectively paring down some of their uh, more exclusive wines. But, um, yeah, there's an awful lot there. Mainly, of course, the wines are laid on their side. Uh, and it goes into the light, humidity, temperature, Oh, vibration, that's a good one. I suppose if you live in a big city area, uh, that could be an issue. Orientation of the bottle, alternate wine closers, places to store wine. And I mentioned before, I keep mine in a little pantry off the kitchen uh, in a couple of wine racks. And wines that um, I'm not quite so fussy about, um, I have a, a couple of racks that will keep, two racks that will hold six each. So they've usually got... Um, uh, between 6 and 12 New World wines out that I know I'm going to drink within the next two to six months. Okay, lots there. I'm not going to read any more. That's wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash storing of wine. And um, I think we'll just go to two more things about this and we'll concentrate on them um, what you do with wines that are already opened. And by the way, this is another little story I'll uh, regale you with. And that was um, 
and I won't mention the actual exact why, but a couple of nights ago, three uh, what is it? Sunday night, um, I opened a, a bottle of what I hope to be um, a very nice wine. I think it was Hunter Valley Shiraz, but it was um, it was a, quite a modestly priced wine uh, from Australia, of course, Hunter Valley Shiraz. 2010, but it had no no structure at all. It was just a, a bit of a fruit bomb, really. I was quite surprised. No, no spice, and to me it seemed too sweet. So I left it for a night, just put a stopper in it, tried it a little bit the next day. It didn't taste any better. Anyway, uh, today before opening this wine, because originally what I was going to do when I had this lovely pork chop, as I say, I fancied a wine with it. I thought, well, there, I'll see if that um, that um, Hunter Valley Shiraz has, has, has come to any great quality. I had a small sip of it, and, and I've honestly poured it away. Um, now, that's not to say that Hunter Valley Shiraz is... This wasn't a quality one. This was basically farmed out from various places, and that's why I'm not naming the particular one. Um, it was only... Um, a six or eight, well, six pound one, so what under ten dollars, and um, it just shows you that um, you you can't always take uh, the name as being well. It should be a stamp of quality, but this particular one, it, 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 there was nothing wrong with it. it. It wasn't off. It just had no character about it whatsoever, and that was why I ended up opening this um, Cru de Coderone uh, earlier. And having it with my uh, my lovely pork chop. Okay, let's read a little bit from um, this next page, which is um, www.wineintro.com forward slash basics forward slash open. And again, I'm just going to read one paragraph. I want you to go and check out their content. Not all wines can survive. Uh, it, it's talking about generally, of course, you can you can drink a wine, drink it the next day, two days, sometimes even three days. Um, so, um, in fact, let me just read a little bit from that paragraph before. Uh, Since the air is already aging the wine, you need to keep other environmental conditions from also adversely affecting the wine and making aging worse. Your aim in keeping your wine for a few days is to freeze it in time. That's a good idea. I mean, a good expression of it. Your ultimate goal would be to have it just as drinkable on the third day as it was when you opened it. In actual fact, sometimes to be better, certainly on the second day than the first. This is why you can often put it into the fridge, even if it is a red wine, if you know you're going to be keeping it a couple of days, to help it stay stationary in its ageing cycle. Um, It also tastes just as good after a few days as when you first removed the cork. A warm counter would only accelerate the ageing further, turning the wine into vinegar very quickly. Wine is stored at 55 degrees Fahrenheit for normal ageing. So the fridge temperature of around 34 degrees Fahrenheit provides slower ageing, which is just what you want. And one little bit more. Um, Not all wines can last three days. For a wine to remain drinkable after being exposed to air, it needs to be capable of ageing in the first place. Other wine, it will turn to an overage wine that will become undrinkable. 
This is not uh, in the sense that it is now dangerous to drink. Wine doesn't go bad. However, it, it will either not taste at its best or even awful. Knowing this, it makes sense that most reds will last three days better than most whites will, since most reds are designed for ageing better than whites, and often, by the way, have a stronger alcoholic content. Um, also, some quick-drink wines like White Zinfandel will not be able to survive at all, since they were never made for ageing in the first place. And there's awful lot more on that page, www.wineintro.com forward slash basics, forward slash open. And we'll have one more page on this. And then we've just got a couple of things to wrap ours up. We're already at 48 minutes, David. And I really try and only do 40 minutes. And there is no one else here with me in the room. And this is from www.thewinedoctor.com forward slash advisory forward slash buy store open bottles. And... Uh, uh, this bit, let me just read. Um, let me read the bit about the refrigerator because, um, you know, we've talked about this before where, you know, white wines you keep in the fridge, take them out 20 minutes before you want to drink them. Red wines, if you're in a, a warmer climate than I am here in the UK, you can put it, a red wine into the fridge for 20 minutes just to bring it down from it perhaps being too warm, especially if you're in a climate... Uh, that is uh, warmer than here in the north of England. Let me just read this little paragraph. Lots for you to read on this page. Uh, like all foodstuffs, wine can be preserved by placing it in the refrigerator. Chemi chemical reactions are much less rapid at lower temperatures, and hence the process of oxidization that will eventually make the wine undrinkable occurs much more slowly than it otherwise would. Lowering the temperature of the wine also inhibits the action of acetic bacteria which threaten to spoil the wine by converting it into vinegar. I think placing leftover wine in the refrigerator is one of the most important steps in it, preserving it for the following day. There are, however, techniques which go further towards preserving wine by attempting to lessen the effect of oxygen more directly. And then it talks about decanting and different ways, little gadgets where you can vacuum the air or you can put some um, actual inert gas into the bottle and then put the stopper back. Absolutely lots and lots there by uh, Chris Kissack, is that? K-I-S-S-A-C-K. Go and read that great content by The Wine Doctor. Okay, that's all we're going to do on that. We're just going to do... Two little bits, because I said storing wine and more. And tomorrow here in the UK, um, today is the um, 19th of March, tomorrow it's the budget day. And one of the things that um, uh, often happens in the budget is all the things that you like are the things that get taxed. So um, what is um, the Chancellor George Osborne likely to do? Well, as it happens, the BBC News site www.bbcnews.co.uk forward slash news forward slash business dash then a long number business dash 21800406 but if you go to the BBC News site click on the business subsection and look for budget what might it be let's scroll down to what thinks uh, and we've got here 
alcohol and fuel duty. For some reason, <laughs> they're always linked together. Of course, uh, drink and driving should never be linked together. But for some reason, they are in terms of their taxation. Let's just read a little bit what it said here. The budget could prove bad news for drinkers, but relatively good news for drivers. After the government's perceived U-term on the minimum alcohol pricing, talking about that last week, originally 45p, then it was up to 50p like they're doing in Scotland, and it's now uh, being vetoed. So, anyway, it is possible that the Chancellor will attempt to appease health campaigners with some rises in alcohol taxes above the automatic increases of 2% above inflation. Now, inflation is running at the moment near to 3%, 2.8%, I believe, so or 2.7%. So that means we could have nearly 5%. Now, let's think, 5%, that's 5p in the pound. So let's say a bottle of wine that is uh, £6, that's an extra 30p, so that means that, um, and also if the supermarket or the wine merchants put the price, that means that a £6 bottle of wine, currently I'm drinking a six bottle of wine, which is reduced, could go up 50p. So that means that, uh, let's put that in American terms, that means a $9 bottle of wine could be going up to nearly 10, it's not quite, not 10% rise, uh, 5% rise, may go up more than that. The extra revenue raised might be there to fill the gap left by the potential suspension of a fuel duty increase, which was planned for autumn, one of these green increases to try and dissuade us from um, driving. Well, I must admit, uh, I've, I, I found out recently that, that um, one of the reasons why they've lowered the, uh, I got rid of this minimum alcohol price, is that the, the, the amount of alcohol drunk in the UK has gone down 12 or 13% recently. But the actual mileage that people drive as well has gone down nearly 20% in the last few years simply because of the cost of petrol. Uh, and for those people in America, we're currently paying nearly one pound. We're nearly paying $2 a litre. And remember, there's four and a half litres to um, a gallon. So by my reckoning, the UK are paying the equivalent to $9 a gallon. Now, the UK down and the Imperial gallon, the American gallon is slightly different, but it means we're paying between $8.50 and $9 for our petrol, when I think in the States it's around $4. Well, I think we'd better stop there, David. Let's just mention very briefly, next week, yes, next week, episode 81, I will hopefully be reporting back from a wine tasting event. Yes, I'm going to a virgin wine tasting in Manchester. I've got a very long link here that I'm not going to read out, but if you go to www.virginwines.co.uk forward slash promotions, you'll see a list of wine events that they've got on. And I'm going to the one on Saturday the 23rd of March at Manchester Town Hall in Albert Square, Manchester. Uh, oh, sold out. I was just going to say that the tickets are, they've gone up from £15 to £20 this year. But of course, you can convert that money towards an order as long as you buy something like £70 worth of wine. So if you buy a dozen bottles of wine, you can offset that price of your ticket. Go in with my friend Jack. Hopefully there will be videos on my DAP100 YouTube, not maybe by next Tuesday, but soon. And also there will be pictures on my uh, photo stream site and my um, uh, photo bucket site 
And if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, I will probably put some pictures there. But that's from 11.30 to 4.30pm on Manchester. Unfortunately, it's clashing with my brother-in-law coming back from his holiday in India, so I can't give him a lift because I will have tasted 40-plus wines and obviously will be going nowhere near my car, taking the train to the event and back. So looking forward to that with my friend Jack and hopefully looking forward to giving some sort of report on Big and Fruity, episode 81, on Tuesday. That will be Tuesday the 26th of March. Still, by the way, we won't have moved on to British summertime, so it will be 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 9 p.m. GMT for episode 81 next week. So that's call ID double one double two seven two. And just before we get to the hour, I think, David, you better stop because, frankly, I want to go and have another sip of this rather pleasant and very enjoyable and well worth the price of £6. Crew de Cote de Rhone, 2010, 14% from France. So with that, let's play our Podsafe jazz outro music. Thank you ever so much for listening. This is Dave AC saying, uh, catch you next time. Bye-bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.